Welcome to Providence Cares, a podcast about overcoming obstacles and finding hope. We're sharing stories of compassion, justice, and our mission to provide health for a better world. I'm your host, Jessica Ekong, Service Area Chief Human Resources Officer at Providence. If, as a reminder, the information provided during this event is for educational purposes only. If you have any questions regarding medical conditions or treatment plans, please consult your primary care physician. Now let's get started. Today, joining me is Dr. Ryan Kay, who serves as the Emergency Department Medical Director for Providence Regional Medical Center in Everett. Dr. Kay has been involved in the pandemic since the first known case was identified in the U.S. A special thank you to Dr. Kay on her on National Doctors' Day for all the work that you have done and that your team has done. So, Dr. Kay, let's get started. Uh, talk to us about your role at Providence. Sure. Thank you, Jessica. It's nice to be here. Um, currently, I'm the medical director for the emergency department, and we're a 79-bed emergency department with about 50 providers um, that I oversee. And then I also partner with nursing leadership and hospital leadership um, on everything from, you know, highly infectious disease response, like this pandemic was, um, to sepsis, to stroke quality. We sort of a we sort of touch all aspects of um, medicine. 70% of the patients in the hospital come through the emergency department. So it is um, the front porch of the hospital. Wow, so if you've been involved since the very first case, then your team uh, was really busy. How is your team doing? Um, it's been a tough year. You know, we anticipated and planned for and built surge capacity in last spring when we had some of the first cases. and. Um, it's been a challenge with the changing science and the changing recommendations. Um, we've gone from sort of an environment of camaraderie to one where we all have about three layers of PPE between each other. And it's a tough work environment, to be honest. Absolutely. So we're here to talk about burnout. And so it sounds like potentially you may have some members on your team who may be uh, approaching that uh, stage if they're not already there. Can you just help us understand what is burnout and what are the most common symptoms? I'm sure that some of us have them and have dismissed them. So would love to hear from you what that looks like. Yeah, I think it can be insidious. It really can start slowly and not have a lot of awareness around it, but um, starting to, to not find joy in, in simple things that you used to enjoy at work um, and sometimes at home as well and finding that tasks that before were easier become that much harder. Um, sometimes we see a little bit of a, a cognitive challenge with burnout. You know, we begin struggling with decisions that seem like they were easier before. Very interesting. It sounds like uh, those are also symptoms that sometimes show up with depression. Um, what should a person do if they find themselves experiencing these symptoms? Well, I think the first thing you need to do is find somebody to talk to about it. You need to ask for help. I think it can be very hard um, for professionals and especially in the emergency department for people to reach out for help. We're kind of a tough breed. And I think everybody in medicine is a little bit of a tough breed and asking for help can be difficult. But you know, naming something is the first step. When you name something, it gets a little bit less power and then getting help. So I'm curious, we're talking about this at work, you know, are there physical implications or implications to someone's health that are hazardous if they are in that burnout phase? 
Well, we talked a little bit about the cognitive issues and, and the potential to make errors when you're struggling with being present and um, engaged in the work that you're doing. But anytime your body is undergoing um, any type of physical or mental stress, our cortisol levels in our body increase. And cortisol levels are um, affect all sorts of things. When I talk to patients about this, I say it's not just in your head, but your head affects it. Your head affects your whole hormonal balance in your body. And um, higher levels of cortisol, and that's our stress hormone, that's our fight or flight hormone, um, affect our sugar metabolism. They affect our ability to fight disease. We're more prone to illness when our cortisol levels are higher. They affect our sleep. And we know that both sleep and nutrition are key to be able to fight stress. So there's, there's reverberating effects. It's like a pebble in a pond and it just keeps rippling out. And so then you've talked about the mental, I mean, the physical health piece. How does it show up from a mental health perspective? I think that um, it can show up different ways for different people. Some people withdraw more, um, become more irritable, um, more angry. They may, um, depending on what your go-to coping mechanism is, whether it's positive or negative, um, you may engage in that more. For some people, maybe that looks like drinking a little too much or withdrawing from your family. Um, there's lots of mental health effects. It can, it can feed into depression and it can feed into suicidal thoughts. So it's a really significant issue that has to be addressed quickly. That sounds very dangerous, particularly because some of the things that you're describing, people have likely um, experienced periodically and may not be able to differentiate that you're, they're now in a danger zone versus, oh, I just need to, I just need some sleep this weekend. Um, are there any tips or suggestions that you would offer to the audience of um, how to keep track of these symptoms so that they're able to identify if this is a trend or if this is an isolated moment in time? I think the tips and tricks are the same, whether it is a trend or an isolated moment in time. And that is um, really identifying ahead of time what your support network is to start with and um, what some de-stressing techniques um, are that you can utilize. Um, I'm a big believer in therapy. I'm a big believer in support networks. And a lot of us have had that taken away during the pandemic. We don't have people to, to go to, to call on and to, to, to lean on um, and, and de-stress. Um, and so I think that having a plan, a ready go-to plan when you start recognizing the warning symptoms. And there's a lot of small things that you can do. Um, we talk about mindfulness a, a lot. And um, and sometimes people feel overwhelmed with that. They think, do I have to learn how to meditate or do yoga to be mindful? But being mindful might be as small as when you take your meal break, you sit down, you put your phone away, and you just very intentionally eat that meal and be present in the moment without something else um, kind of pulling your mind away from the experience that you're having. And I think that those small moments of mindfulness are really micro steps to helping address burnout. But, but there's a lot of pieces. There's the mindfulness, there's the support network, there's the bigger, the bigger guns, like the therapy and, and um, being able to call out your limits. I don't know that all of us are good about setting boundaries around our time and our space. And for a lot of us, whether we're working, you know, in a facility, in an office, in a clinic, or from home, those boundaries have been significantly blurred. And 
um, as a mom with teenagers doing school from home and when I do um, administrative work from home, you're constantly available and there's never a me space. And so identifying a me space can be critical. I think that was a great segue, Dr. K. Um, with many um, Americans moving to a work from home setting, uh, many women are feeling like there are even more blurred lines from when work ends and their personal life begins. What kind of advice would you give or what additional advice would you give um, to setting boundaries um, with managers and coworkers? That's a really great question. And and um, there's sort of this new expectation in the world nowadays with, um, you know, it started with instant messaging. So I'll, I'll date myself here, but, you know, with Snap and, and texting and, and now Teams, you know, messages coming across that we're always available and, and should respond immediately. And I think it's okay to um, set some expectations around that. I had a um, I had a colleague of mine who I sit on a board with um, who has a has a caveat at the bottom of her email and it says, um, I work from home and I have small children. So sometimes I work odd hours. Feel free to respond to this email during the hours that you feel are appropriate for your work life. And I thought that was an amazing, that was the first time I'd seen that. And I thought that that's setting about that's saying this was is what works for me and it might not work for you. And and that's okay. And I'll it's not an emergency. Nobody's having a cardiac arrest and the, the message can wait. And so I think that when you're um, having those blurred boundaries, being very clear, if it's saying to your kids, okay, for these two hours, I'm shutting the door and this is my space and I'm going to be working. And if you need something, unless the house is burning down, you're going to have to wait. You know, that's okay to say. I know several parents who have actually said that to their children. So uh, that is perfect. What about with leaders? You know, we often don't feel like we can say no to our boss. We often feel like we have to always stay on. What advice do you have about having those conversations with people leaders? I will promise you that your leaders are as burned out as you are. <laughs> so I think I am a big believer in just being very straightforward. And your leader can support you no more if they know where you're coming from. If you say, look, I'm struggling here and I'm struggling to figure out boundaries. Can we work together to find out times that work better for us to communicate, um, prioritize projects so that um, you feel like I, or so that we both feel that, that I'm successful in my job and I'm still um, able to balance uh, work life. And I think this is such an important topic and, and I think people will be surprised at how well it's embraced by, by your leaders, by your next level up. We should all give it a try. Now, Dr. K, uh, McKinsey Consulting Firm published an article in September of last year. Um, it was a study that was uh, run by leanin.org, and essentially it said that one in four women are either consider uh, um, uh, downgrading their career or leaving um, the workplace completely. Um, there's a lot of sense making that's happening to understand why is that. I'm curious if you've noticed any added stressors for women that you work with. I um, I think the stressors have been there for a long time. I'm going to be honest with you. Back in the 80s, um, women sort of were accepted into the work professional workforce en masse. You know, there was a lot more of the two parent working families, single mothers working. And um, over the years, we've achieved a, a closer semblance 
quality in the workplace, but nothing has really changed on the home front. There's the, the home front has not become a 50, 50 um, environment. And, and there's a lot of, I'm not just speaking to, to, to my own personal beliefs, but there's a lot of research out there that shows that, that when you start stacking a full work schedule and coming home and saying, oh my gosh, I still have a full work schedule. It gets to be too much. And what seems to happen is that um, women feel like if they say yes to their job, they're saying no to their family or their own life. And if they're saying yes to their family, they're saying no to their job. And, and we have to come together to figure out how to fix that, how to create an environment. And this may just come with generations. It may come with education but where we recognize that um, taking maternity leave is not a weakness, you know, if you choose to breastfeed your children, that that's not a weakness. That is something that's good for our society. We need to come at this um, in a true 50-50 fashion because I think women have a lot to offer to the workplace and they should never be forced to make a choice between their career and their family. Absolutely, thank you for sharing that. Um, and I think, you know, sometimes we think that these households run on autopilot, um, but someone has to manage them. Um, if we could make it real for the audience in case they are the benefits of their household running on autopilot, what are some of the things that moms um, or parents are having to manage when they come home from their job? Yeah, I mean, I, I'll just use the pandemic as an example, you know. I never wanted to be a homeschool parent. I'll just share that. That was not my forte. And um, and now we, we come home and, and we are trying to explain algebra to our kids, not having done algebra for 25, 30 years, you know, trying to explain how to do this. We're trying to be a, a parent. Um, we're trying to offer, um, we're trying to be a nutritionist. We're trying to be a teacher. Um, we're trying to keep our, our houses clean and maintained. Um, and we don't have, um, especially during the pandemic, I think it just highlighted a problem that existed, but we don't have this network of people. And, and I'll call it a village, whether you lean that way politically or not. I mean, that is a good term. We don't have that village of support that that we used to. And so, so we're taking on many jobs and roles. And I think that, um, I, I think that, um, we have to sometimes be okay um, with not being perfect. And, and I think that not perfect is absolutely good enough. Well said, well said. Now let's pivot to mental health. Yesterday, uh, Providence hosted a vaccine town hall um, where I read some of the excerpts from COVID patients um, who have participated in COVID diaries. There was a huge section on just some of the psychological pieces that are coming from that. I'm just curious between COVID patients, um, patients who have been coming through the emergency department, um, are you seeing a higher rate of patients coming through um, due to mental health concerns um, that might be associated with the pandemic stress or burnout? Absolutely. And, and you only have to turn to the, the stories of some of the patients that we have to understand the full impact when your your mother who you actually haven't seen in months ends up dying in the hospital and you get a couple of hours at end of life with her or your teenager who was never designed um, 
to be around their parents 24 seven has not seen their friends in six months. What does that do to their develop, you know, their mental development, their emotional development, as well as their mental health. So the numbers of, of um, children and adolescents that we're seeing with mental health issues. And then if you stack um, that social isolation, if you want to stack financial difficulties on top of that, folks who are out of work, um, not sure what is going to happen. When are we going to reopen? When am I going to have a job again? Um, maybe you have a job, but you know your job looks so much different than you ever thought it would. And is this what I want to be doing with my life? And I think those are all really heavy questions in a really short period of time, and a lot of a lot of issues to deal with. What you just described sounded like layer on top of layer on top of layer of burdens that are facilitating burnout. Um, what are some of the things that people can do to help alleviate burnout? So, you know, most people can't just find another place to lay their head while their family just <laughs> keeps themselves alive. Um, you know, outsourcing used to be the answer, meaning whether it's having a cleaning uh, company come through. I know some people are having groceries delivered, but a lot of the services that people leveraged before, they maybe aren't comfortable having an in-home nanny come in and out. Uh, what are some of the other options that you're seeing to be really helpful? I I think that's a great question. And, and I think that we don't have a lot to turn to and rely to, or excuse me, rely on. Um, but, you know, they've encouraged during the pandemic to have sort of your social bubble or your COVID bubble. And I think that that forming that and having that as a support can be helpful. And I, I don't want to um, underemphasize again, how okay it is to take a step back and let things go a little bit. I think that that is the, the first step. You know, we feel this anxiety, you know, my, my kid's not in, in soccer, they're not um, having their piano lessons, what's going to happen to their education? Um, what would it look like just to take a walk together and, and have a conversation with your kid and, and, you know, take the opportunity to, to slow down a little bit. Um, what would it look like um, instead of, you know, you taking on cleaning the house by yourself um, to make it a game with your family and teach your kids how to clean the house? You know, um, I think I think that there's a, a lot of different things. And and there are um, resources in a lot of um, folks workplace as well. And I think if you are feeling overwhelmed, um, reaching out to your managers, your supervisors, um, if you're struggling with childcare, reaching out to your HR department saying, I, I need to be in this job and I want this and I'm struggling to figure out how to get all the pieces in place. A lot of the schools have um, developed drop-in centers for um, kids where families had no choices and they couldn't leave their kids at home. So I think that there, there are resources out there in the community and, and searching um, out through the schools, your workplace, um, you know, if you're part of a, a place of worship, looking there um, for a support as well. There's been a lot of structure developed. Um, there are folks probably um, within our own healthcare system who might struggle to meet, make ends meet and, and put food on the table. And there's a lot of um, places of worship who um, have, uh, are, have bags of food and, you know, food banks and such. And so I think I think that tapping into um, everything you can to, to build that bottom layer of that pyramid for you of support is important. 
Thank you for sharing that. Um, that question was so important because I think community and the concept of it has to be reimagined. And um, I, I see a lot of people struggling with if we're not meeting for meals, if we're not traveling together, then then what does that look like? And um, how can we continue to build community if it's not face to face? So. I totally get that piece. So my next question is a little bit more sensitive. So sometimes when we are in the burnout phase, we're moving too fast and we just can't see it until our body stops us and shuts us down. You know, what guidance do you have for coworkers who maybe sense that one of their colleagues is in the burnout phase? You know, how do you recommend that they either have the conversation? Do you recommend they talk to the person's manager, talk to the person directly? How do you do that without offending someone? Yeah, that's a really great question, and um, some of the answer may depend on on the person, your 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 colleague, and and. But I I'm a firm believer that the best conversations happen face to face, and um, and I think if you come from a place of empathy and compassion, that things are well received. Um, you know, and I'll I'll go back to kindergarten. So using I messages. I sense that maybe you're under stress today, and I. Um, feel like, um, you know, I've, or I've noticed that, you know, in some situations, it seems like you're reacting more angrily, or you seem stressed. And, 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 you know, I, I'm here, and I'm feeling the same way. And I would, I would love to talk to you more if you want, or um, anything you need, please know that I'm here, you know, just start broaching that opening the door, you open the door a crack, and sometimes people push it open, and they come in. And, and that's, that's a great thing. And so, so I think starting that face-to-face -face conversation first, um, if that if if the person says nope, I'm fine, and you truly have some concerns, I think it's fine to go to the manager and say I'm really worried about Sally. You know, Sally just she seems at the end of a rope, and I've heard her say some things about things at home, and I you know I'm just worried, and and so I'm coming to you not punitively, but because I'm worried about her, and I how can we support her? Totally fine to do. It sounds like it starts with intent and um, actually taking action. I think none of us want to see um, something happen to our coworkers and their well-being. So making sure that we do say something instead of observing in silence. So thank you for that guidance. Um, so I'm aware that in February of this year, Providence launched a partnership with Lyra, and it's a behavioral health program where you're able to call you know, state the type of needs that you need. It's 100% confidential and we get 25 sessions. Um, and what I love about Lyra is that right now the, the response time is that from your first phone call until your first appointment is six days. So I'm really excited about that. I'm curious to know if you're aware of any other things that Providence offers um, for resources to cope with added stress. I know that they've been working really hard and, and I'll, I'll be a little bit biased. I know what's more there out for um, physicians and APPs, um, but um, I know they they put together a whole website with resources, um, uh, including you know where folks can seek counseling, where they can get support networks. So that they've really been working hard to develop um, resource networks, and I think that Lyra, where you can call and talk to somebody is so invaluable. Um, one of our I, one of our physicians who's a friend of mine shared with me that she had called and she just thought it was, she was, she's a psychiatrist and she just thought it was amazing. 
and um, such a great resource and thought she had such a great conversation. So to, for that to come from a psychiatrist is, is fantastic endorsement. So um, I, I know there's a lot of resources out there developed by Providence. I know some of the ones aimed at physicians and we can probably um, post those for folks on the, on the Facebook page. Um, uh, and, um, you know, reaching out to your, to your manager, HR department for help is probably the next best step if you don't know where to look. Absolutely. And we had our caregiver engagement survey last year. Burnout was absolutely a focus area. I know that there are many leadership teams thinking about how do we support caregivers as it relates to burnout. Um, I know that um, parts of the HR organization have had focus Fridays, um, essentially a bit of no meeting Fridays. So an opportunity to maybe not be on Zoom, rest your eyes, um, but then maybe focus on moving some of your projects forward. So some of those things have been empowering to be able to decline that meeting or propose a new time for a meeting so that that is protected time. So that's one of the things that I've been seeing. Um, uh, what's your, I'm curious to know uh, what rights, you know, might employees have in terms of requesting time off for mental health or getting the assistance with their work-life balance? Sorry, I had to find my unmute button there for my mouse moved. Um, yeah, so so um, seeking assistance with mental health is all um, protected. And you, Jessica, could probably speak to it a little bit more with your HR background than I can. Um, but it should never be um, fear of, uh, you know, retribution or losing your job should never be a factor. Because I think that um, what we want more than anything is for people to be healthy and um, to come to work, um, able to engage with patients, with coworkers in a, in a healthy way. And so, um, so I, I think that sometimes, um, people fear that, um, that will follow them and, and have an effect on their job. And in fact, it, it's, it's very confidential. Agreed. Um, and thank you for the invitation to share. It is very confidential. The conversation that you're having with your benefits provider or with your physician is not information that your boss um, is aware of. I do know that sometimes we think about mental health so different than physical health, but if I had an injury in my knee and I'd been working with my physician on it and they decided that I needed more intense treatment, maybe surgery, then they would write a note saying that I needed surgery and recommending that I have an X amount of time off to for rehabilitation and for healing. And the same is true for mental health. If you're working with a licensed medical professional and they have deemed that, you know, based on the discussions and observations that they had of you, that a leave is necessary, um, the coding for that leave, it, your leader will not have visibility to that. They will see that a leave is coming through and they will um, know that they might have to fill out some paperwork. You'll have to complete some paperwork, but know that the rest of that is confidential. Um, and if you ever feel like you're in a situation where maybe you perceive to be experiencing retaliation because you took a leave, uh, please partner with your HRBP or your CHRO to uh, surface that concern. That is not the intent. And know that our leaders are leading with compassion and we want our caregivers to do the things that are going to take care of them because we want you to be well. Can so, I just piggyback really quickly, and I know we're at end of time, but, um, you know, the, the point that you made that, that me mental health and physical health are not two different things, um, down at Hogue, they term it neurobehavioral health for the recognition that our, our brains and our bodies are one thing, 
and and they all affect the other when we're physically unwell we're mentally unwell and when we're mentally unwell we're physically unwell and so um they're not separate things they're all um part of taking care of our whole self and I'm not a physician, so you can correct whatever I say that is inaccurate, but um, there's a book that I've started to read, uh, The Body Keeps Score, and it talks about how trauma can live in the body. And so what I'm thinking about is if we're not taking the time to process what's happening, whether it's COVID, what's happening in our home, um, racial uprising and things like that, if we're not taking time to process that, it, it can rest and reside in our body and eventually impact our physical health. Um, so thank you for making that connection point for us. Um, so as we wrap up, do you have any final pieces of advice to share with our audience um, for women, for those experiencing burnout, for those who are working with those who might be experiencing burnout? I think um, the last thing I'd like to say, and, and I think that um, I've said this a little bit already, is um, that when you feel like you're experiencing burnout, when things feel like they're overwhelming, um, I just would invite everybody to first just take a really big deep breath. Um, take a deep breath. You're not alone. And, um, you know, we're all in this together and you might feel very alone, um, but giving yourself a lot of space for forgiveness and a lot of space um, to take care of yourself is really critical. Thank you for that reminder. I took a deep breath, deep breath while you were speaking. Thank you, Dr. K, for joining us today and to everyone for listening and sending in your questions. If you're looking for support with your mental health or other medical advice, please visit providence.org and make sure to visit and follow Providence on social media. Um, that's at Providence on Twitter, under Providence Health System on Instagram and Facebook and LinkedIn. Thank you so much today. Thank you.